Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and today we are continuing a series called Hoping For. Hoping For. And in the series, we're really unpacking, expounding on this idea and topic of hope and this application of what hoping for something is. Today, we're specifically going to be talking about this idea when we're hoping for God to show me what to do. I think uh, a lot of our prayers are summed up in this simple phrase, God, just show me what to do. Show me what to do. And we almost get frustrated with the concept of free will because... We want God to just simply show us what to do. And a lot of the times we feel, uh, maybe we feel like he's silent, or we feel like these vague directions. But today we're going to really unpack this idea through the story of Gideon. Gideon is most known for uh, being a judge in the Old Testament. And he is most known for having victory for Israel, liberating them uh, with only 300 men. We're going to start out in this, this first part of the story with the idea of feeling called but unsure. I'm called but unsure. Most people are too hesitant to fulfill their dreams because they are insecure. Most people are too hesitant to fulfill their dreams because they're insecure. Let's look at the story of Gideon and then we're going to talk about it. In, in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11, we're seeing when God first spoke to, uh, to Gideon and called him. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Orphrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite. As his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is really with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did the Lord not bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has handed us over to Midian. So we see this story picking up with Gideon being spoken to by God, this this very special moment. And We see Gideon just really bring all of his doubts and questions right up front. God, if you're really with us, how come we haven't seen you? Where are the miracles that our parents told us about, our grandparents told us about? And he has all of these doubts and questions as soon as God starts speaking to him. It goes on to say, And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this strength of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? But he said to him, O Lord, how am I to save Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. Yet the Lord said to him, I will certainly be with you, and you will defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then perform for me a sign that it is you speaking with me. I'm called but unsure. Called but unsure. The biggest thing that puts a wet blanket over the calling inside of our hearts is typically our own insecurities. Notice how God is speaking to Gideon 
and telling him these great things. First, he says, I've called you. Then he even affirms this and says, valiant warrior. And a lot of times when we read text, we just see it almost like this monotone, like just like I read it, very monotone, boring, uh, just one, one, uh, one emotion the whole way. But this moment where it says, go in this strength that you have, what it shows is that there is some passion behind Gideon's voice when he was sharing and expressing his doubts of what he was really called to do. And there's some yelling and some screaming. And that's why God's saying, take this passion of yours, take this, this, all this that you got and go with you and use it the other way. Don't attack me, but attack what I've called you to do. And he's, God is trying to redirect this passion. And see, we become so doubtful and unsure with nearly every part of this calling, this passion, with this aspiration within our hearts. We, we're doubtful and unsure of our methods. We don't think we know how to do it right. We're doubtful and unsure of our upbringings, our abilities, our identity, even our idea of worthiness. You know, it's even this uh, us being uh, able to do baby dedications at the end of service today, I feel like every parent goes to this initial stage of feeling completely unsure of themselves becoming a parent. Especially with your first kid. I mean, for me, it's like every kid, I thought I wasn't enough. <laughs> first kid, oh man, I, I was freaking out. Second kid, I was like, how am I going to handle two? Third one, I was like, well, I give up. <laughs> there's, there's no way. But it's almost like this, this unspoken principle comes with parenting, is, and that is you just figure it out. Yeah. And we are so unsure the whole time of our methods, if we're doing it right. Am I really being a good parent? Am I messing this kid up? We're unsure with our upbringings. Well, my, I never knew how to be a dad. I, I feel like I didn't have a dad growing up. I don't know. I didn't like how my mom did. We have all these doubts of if our upbringing prepared us enough to be parents. All the way down to our worthiness. I feel like moms struggle with this the most because they love their kids so much. God, uh, fathers love their kids too, but there's, it's a difference because we don't get to get an extra nine months with them. We, we don't have to change our diet at all to, to take care of our child. We don't have to think about, am I laying right in bed so that the baby's growing? But see, moms, they have to think of all this extra stuff, so they just develop this, this intense, intimate bond. So much so where they have all this abundance of love to where they doubt their own worthiness as a mother. It's so common. So many moms, great, amazing moms, doubting whether or not they're a good enough mom for their kid. See, we're called, but unsure. The best way to get over this self-sabotage thinking is simply by going to God with it. And that's really what it is, is self-sabotage. Go to God with it, whether it's prayer, whether it's fasting, or even asking for a sign like Gideon did. You should go to your creator with your questions and your doubts. Traditionally in church, we're taught that we shouldn't ask bad questions in church or questions that a pastor might get mad at us for. <laughs> I remember the first time when I was a youth pastor and some kid asked, like, so why do we, why do we give money to the church? And a, another kid that was raised in church was like, hey, shut up, man. <laughs> and I was like, hey, it's okay. It's, it's okay to ask questions in church because the Bible gives plenty of answers for them. And in fact, when we look through Scripture and we see 
these these men and women of faith that were just just did superhero things when it comes to our faith the underlying tone is not that they were perfect all of them in fact had great mistakes but the underlying thread that goes through all of them is that they were willing to be transparent to God with their heart when you look at the story of Job a standing character and when when everything demolished his life he did not curse God but he definitely had a lot of questions for God and he's very transparent about the brokenness of his heart he openly talked about wanting to commit suicide he openly talked about wanting to wish that he was never born he openly talked about these these dark ugly thoughts that we have but we ne typically never voice to God God is showing Gideon give it to me trust me and and Gideon is sharing it all he said how am I supposed to trust you I haven't seen anything that the Bible talks about I haven't seen anything that my parents have talked about and God is simply leading him saying you will and you must remember that God will and does speak to you I think most of the times we feel like we don't hear God is because our hearts have become hardened from just what we experience in life this world is so so broken and it hurts it, it is a hard world that we live in and it's easy for our hearts to become hard to where it's more difficult to hear the voice of God we're less sensitive because bitterness is clouding our heart and, it, it, and I want to make sure to be clear I'm not saying that no one here should ever feel bitter in fact bitterness is a part of a life cycle that we go through there even when we forgive there will be a point where we become bitter again towards somebody and it's a constant working on our heart and so when I say God will and does speak to you I want to also say just like Gideon asking for a sign is fine but fasting helps you to be sensitive to his voice so often we get fixated on well Gideon asked for a sign and he asked for multiple signs in fact, at one moment, he says, God, I want you, I'm going to lay a fleece down on the floor, and in the morning, cause the fleece to be wet and all the, dry, all the ground around it to be dry. And then God did it. And he said, okay, but let me be extra sure, just like a lot of us. And he said, I'm going to do it again, but this time do the opposite. Make the fleece dry and all around it be wet. And God did it. And it was, a, it was just how much more clear could God make a sign? We get fixated on signs in our church culture. And I want to say don't trick yourself into thinking that you need a sign don't trick yourself into thinking that you need a sign especially a sign after a sign <laughs> fasting will make you sensitive to God's voice yes. to where if you do a fast most likely you won't even need a sign by the end of the fast it'll just be so clear to you because you'll be that sensitive yeah. and it makes me think about my wife when we're dating and we're, you know, both Christians, we're really wanting to ma marry the right one because, you know, there's only one person in the world, right, that is your soulmate. And so I'm being slightly sarcastic, by the way. But what she did is she asked for a sign. And God, uh, she said that God gave her a sign. And then she wanted another sign. I was like, hey, hold on. <laughs> do, do, I, do you really need that many signs for me? <laughs> but she, she needed another sign. And Soon enough, she started chasing that rabbit hole of like needing, I just need to be extra sure. I need to be extra sure. Even though she had prayed about it for months, for a long time, 
wanting to find her husband, wanting to find someone to be with. He's like, I don't know. Are you sure? I'm, are you sure, God? Are you sure? Are you sure? Give me another sign. And we get so, we trust so much more in like a ooga booga sign than we do simply from the voice of God. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Amen. So, with that being said, addressing our insecurities, our unsuredness, let's go into the next thing that stops us, and that is, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I just had a flashback to when I was about to marry my wife and I had no furniture. <laughs> I barely had this, uh, what, 600 foot square, uh, square foot townhome and a bed. <laughs> And that was, I, I ended up getting a folding table with the legs folded out. And so I was like, this will be our beautiful kitchen table. <laughs> Memories will be made here. <laughs> and see that, that idea of I don't have enough. Your first kid, oh my gosh. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Don't doubt your mission just because you think that you don't have the means. Don't doubt your mission. Don't doubt your calling just because you think that you don't have the means. Let's pick up with Gideon. He's already got all of his signs. He, he's, he's already gotten a little victory over his insecurities and unsuredness. And now he's at the point where he's even got people to war cry with him. And he's about to go into battle and thousands of people show up to join him. And then this happens. It says in Judges chapter seven, Starting in verse 1, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him got up early and camped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to hand Midian over to them. Otherwise Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has saved me. Now therefore come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and worried is to return and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 from the people return, but 10,000 remain. It goes on to say, Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. So it shall be that he of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you. He shall go with you. But everyone to whom I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and then the Lord said to Gideon, You shall put everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps it on the, in one group, and everyone who kneels down to drink in another. Now the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people kneeled down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, I will save you with the 300 men who lapped and will hand the Midianites over to you. So have all the other group go, each man to his home. So what we see here is God just literally purging all the means that Gideon had. And God tells him those who just got down in uh, old school style, just uh, drank water, putting their face straight into the stream. Those people can go home, but those who kneeled down and brought the water to them, they can stay. And it's easy to use your imagination and thinking that the only reason other people have success is because they have an abundance of resources. Think that the only reason other people have success is because they have an abundance of resources. This simply is not true. In fact, most successful people find their victories through their grit 
and an innovation while having a lack of resources. Uh, it makes me, again, painting the picture of having kids and marriage, we love to compare ourselves and especially be critical of others. Well, the only reason that they got it good is because their life was good. The only reason that, they, the only reason that they're good parents is because they have a lot of family to take care of their kids. That's why. They're able to get breaks. The only reason that their marriage is good is because uh, they, they had everything they needed when they got married. We have all these ideas of why other people have success, but we don't. And it goes in the same with entrepreneurship, innovation. We think, oh, well, they only made it because they came from me. They only made it because of this, because of that. You can't let the idea of having enough determine whether or not you will win, let alone whether or not you will start the venture. If we were to let that stop us, Hardly any of us would get married, hardly any of us would have kids, hardly any of us would even get that first job because we just feel like we don't have enough. We, don't, we are not enough. Yeah. And passion, prayer, and determination are truly the catalyst to victory. Passion, prayer, and determination are the catalyst for victory in nearly every aspect of life. Everyone has seen an airplane, right? And we're, we must know airplanes being built by the Wright brothers. Did you know that at the time, it was like a race to build an aviation uh, vehicle? And we know now that the Wright brothers were the ones who accomplished that first. But did you know that there's actually a government project called the, the Langley Project, in which they were trying to create a plane first? And in this race against who can build the plane first, the, the person in charge of the Langley project was given $70,000 for the project, equivalent to uh, over, over a million dollars today. For $70,000 for the project, all the resources they needed, all the people they needed, all the everything. And they said, do it, we want it done. And, and the government wanted a, a plane that was able to be manned by a human. And it was the Wright brothers who accomplished it first with less than $1,000 and resources with, with just them and a couple other uh, entrepreneurs or uh, uh, scientists, tinkerers to help them do it. And they were able to accomplish more with less. And once they, once they completed the task, the person in charge with all of the money and resources and all the people, once they realized that they were going to be second, that they did not win, they quit their job. They left. And I believe that even if the Langley Project would have done it first, the Wright brothers would have still tried to do it themselves. They would have not given up. And I share this simple story to say, to give an example of how truly this idea of not having enough is not real. But that we, when we really put our grit to it, our hearts to it, passion, innovation. Innovation is being able to accomplish something with the lack of resources. And it just takes that determination to produce creativity. And whether it's a venture, a, a business, going back to school, raising a family, uh, how, trying to save your marriage, whatever it is, you are able to do it with a lack of resources. It just takes some passion, some grit, some prayer, determination. and. Sometimes the lack of what we think we need 
actually helps us to depend more on God. Notice how in this scripture, it's God is saying, if you did it with all the resources possible, you'd, you, you truly would just look at it as you doing it. You wouldn't be able to see a real miracle. You wouldn't be able to see the supernatural. And this simple act not only brings us closer to God, but it becomes more of us being involved in his work rather than involving him with our work. When we look at even just raising kids, the initial perspective is, I need God to help me do this. And when we dedicate our children, it shifts that perspective to, I want to help God in raising this godly kid. It, you, you become the helper in what God is doing, rather than involving God as a helper in what you're doing. And it's an incredible thing to be able to say that you saw God move in miraculous ways. I mean, the idea of really experiencing a miraculous event, miracles, seeing supernatural things, the only people who get to see the glory of God like that are the people who are willing to trust and lean on God through the process. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Yes. So let's go on to our last point, and that is, I thought I won. I thought I won. Don't doubt your victories just because of other people's comments. Don't doubt your victories just because of other people's comments. After Gideon has this amazing victory with just 300 men to where the, this army of thousands literally ran, ran from 300 men and, and, and terrified. And Gideon took these 300 men going from town to town, chasing them and capturing their kings and their lieutenants. And at some point this happens. In Judges chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, it says, Then the men of Ephraim said to Gideon, What is this thing that you have done to us, not calling upon us when you we went to fight against Midian? And they quarreled with him vehemently. But he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim not better than the vintage of Ebiezer? God has handed over to you the leaders of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. So what's going on is we literally see people, Gideon was in the middle of winning in such an incredible way, yet that's when people that were supposed to be on his side tried to bring the most discouragement. You're trying to do your best, and it seems like your own family, your own friends are making those comments or saying things that are bringing the most discouragement. It's hard enough fighting for victory but then to only have people next to you start kicking you at, at you before you finish makes it almost like an abusive distraction. It's part of our sinful nature, our human nature, to be jealous of other people's success. And it's common for people to be overly critical of things that they weren't involved in. It's a subconscious way of trying to take credit for something you had nothing to do with. And it boils down to jealousy, envy, or simply just pride. And know, understanding that this is a part of our human nature, and it's, it's really something that you're bound to experience. When you understand that, it helps you to take it less personal. It helps you to take it less personal, to release that bitterness like we talked about earlier, to let it go. Don't allow people like this 
to distract you from finishing what you started. And especially, don't let them discourage you when you've won. You are allowed to celebrate the progress, and you're allowed to celebrate the victories. At the end of the day, you simply should just do your best and forget the rest. When in doubt, go to God and people you trust. Don't allow unsolicited comments to throw you off your game and put you into an anxious insecurity. You are called for this, and God is with you. Right before me and my wife got married, I was 19 at the time. I was right about to turn 20 when we got married. And she was 22, so I was already really intimidated. So like, man, she, whenever I was message her at the beginning, I felt like I was messaging an elementary school principal. She just seemed so professional. And, and I remember the moment when we were getting nearly just a month away to the point where we were going to get married. And we're... we're uh, we had this interaction with a her roommate's boyfriend, and and at some point he had just gotten divorced. And at some point he said, "Oh well, Lauren, if uh, y'all gonna get married, wow, okay. Well, if y'all ever get divorced, you'll have a lot of leeway with the kids." It's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like I am right here. I can hear you clearly. <laughs> Thanks for the advice. Um, and see, we'd get comments like that. I remember hearing comments like, wait, you're going to get married? You don't even have any furniture in your house? Oh, my gosh. I mean, if I was going to get married, I would at least want to live in a house, not an apartment. It's like, okay. <laughs> That's why you're still single. But it, see, all these, these comments right before you're about to get a victory, or maybe right after. I mean, all the comments that came after we got married. Oh, well, y'all better do this, or you're going to have problems. Make, trying to just put fear in you. Trying to just make you think that you're doing it wrong. And you need to understand that you have your own story. And your life simply doesn't look like other people's lives. Every life is different. From afar, they're, they're just like fingerprints. They all look the same. But when you get up close, you see that each one is incredibly different. There's not one like the other. See, that's what your life is like. And so you have to... Give yourself grace to learn what you need to learn. Take what you can. Eat the meat and spit out the bones from other people's comments and advice. And do your best and forget the rest. Everyone makes mistakes. The times that you do, don't think that you're disqualified. Don't think that you ruined it. We all make mistakes, and we simply just need to get back up. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Yes. With that being said, I want us to all close our eyes and bow our heads for a moment. And I feel like this last point I thought I'd won is, is an emotional point for a lot of us. And as we're just having a moment of, of deep thought, I want you to just, in your own mind, in your own heart, go to God with what you're thinking. Go to God with what you're feeling. Some of you might be feeling a very specific thing. You're thinking about something very unique and specific. And a lot of that probably has mixed emotions, insecurities, unsuredness. Did I do it all wrong? I wish I could go back. And I urge you right now in this moment to just simply give those thoughts, those feelings, those cares to Jesus. Lay them at the cross. Lay them at his feet. And just ask Jesus, what can you do with these? What can you do with this?
and allow him to speak for you, to you for a moment. Allow him to show you in your own mind for a moment what he will do with that, what he can do with those. While we're doing that, if you're here, every head still bowed and eye closed, if you're here and you feel just a compelling in your heart to put your trust in Jesus, maybe for the very first time, maybe you did a long time ago, but you know right now in this moment, you just feel this burden on your heart that you need to come back to him. And what I'm talking about is not just this idea of religion, but a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with God where you can be transparent with your prayers like I talked about at the beginning. Talk to God how you really feel. If you want to do that today with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. I see your hands. I see all your hands. And I'm not going to ask anyone to come up because I want you to have a moment of privacy with God. I don't want you to feel ousted or anything like that. I want you to just have a personal moment with God. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead for the world's sins, that surely you shall be saved. When we unpack that, all the Bible is saying is that if you acknowledge this gift that Jesus has offered, acknowledge who he is, and are authentic about it, Surely you shall be saved. Surely you should have this relationship. You can start this journey of walking with God in your life. He made it so simple. And so, if that was you, you rose your hand, or even if you just wanted to, I want you to have your own conversation with Jesus. You don't need me or any other pastor to tell you how to talk to God. You can be authentic, you can be genuine. And just try and know that God is understanding and he knows every hair on top of your head. It says that he knows how many hairs you have on top of your head. That's a very unnecessary detail to know about your life. But he knows that detail because he cares to know. He cares even about those seemingly unnecessary details. How much more does he care about how you talk, how you pray? He understands you. He knows everything you've been through. And so if you simply just talk to him, you'll be able to connect with him. God, right now in this moment, as your people are having a moment with you, I pray that you encourage them, that you inspire them, and that you solidify a relationship right now in this moment. And that it would not just be an emotional experience, but that you would cause your spirit, your Holy Spirit, and your presence to, to touch them right now from head to Go across their shoulders, all the way down to their toes, and cause them to feel and experience your presence in a tangible way. Let them experience your peace to where they know that it's you who is speaking to them. I pray that you finish what you start in their lives, and I pray that you bless them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. In this same attitude of reverence, uh, we're going to go into a time of worship. And we just have two songs that we are playing on uh, the screen uh, through video. And as we, as we get ready to do that, 
the reason I tell you it's only two songs is so that you're not anticipating or thinking, you're distracted in your head, wondering when is it going to be over. Uh, I, we have two songs and you're already here, so we might as well have a moment where we do our best to just try to connect with God. And I want to share this scripture on the screen. It says in John chapter 4, verse 23, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who worship him in that way. What this verse is simply saying is that if you want to connect with God and have an authentic heart, you'll find him. In fact, it says that he's looking for that. Just a genuine heart that wants to connect with their creator. It doesn't say that there's any, there's no other standard. There's no obligation of us having to be uh, good or bad over the weekend. It is simply a connection moment. And it doesn't matter what any of us have done before this moment, that we don't have to feel guilty if we want to connect with God, that we simply can come to Jesus where we're at, undistracted with a simple motive of wanting to connect with our Creator. With that being said, I want us to all stand up, and we're going to get ready for a time of worship. Uh, just give us a moment as I prepare it. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.